0: This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from Counterspin, comedian Lee Camp, a Best of the Left activism update, The Rachel Maddow Show, The Majority Report, The David Packman Show, Howdyland.com, and The Matthew Filipovic Show. And a note for our disenfranchised listeners I just want to assure you that no photo ID is required to hear this show. Simply submit your name and bank information via email.
1: Is Barack Obama trying to suppress the vote? Writer Thomas Edsel thinks so. On the New York Times Campaign Stops blog on July 23rd, Edsel accuses Obama of the politics of anything goes because Obama's campaign is running ads attempting to persuade voters not to vote for Mitt Romney. Obama once had higher standards, writes Etzel, like in 2008 when he decried those who are preparing to divide us. But now Obama is targeting demographic groups with specialized messaging and running ads, demonizing Romney in order to suppress turnout and minimize the margin of defeat among certain groups like, quote, white men without degrees, a constituency Obama has no hope of winning, close quote. In other words, Obama is trying to win voters from a group where his support is weak. I know. Shocking. Well, note the word suppress, which Edsel uses repeatedly in describing Obama's strategy, as in this strange passage. Quote, Romney is particularly vulnerable to a campaign designed to suppress turnout because his support is more tepid than Obama's. Close quote. Voter suppression has a specific meaning in political discussions. It means dirty tricks and discriminatory electoral laws and practices. It does not mean negative advertising. When voters are suppressed, they're disenfranchised. When a campaign convinces a voter not to vote for the other guy, that's democracy in action. Still, Edsel insists on the false equivalency, comparing Obama's ads with real GOP efforts to deny citizens the vote. Quote, Over the past two years, Republican-controlled state legislatures have been conducting an aggressive vote suppression strategy of their own, through the passage of voter identification laws and laws imposing harsh restrictions on voter registration drives. Close quote. Obama and the GOP are engaged in the same kind of anything-goes politics? Perhaps Edsel is engaged in anything-goes punditry.
2: This year's presidential election will be stolen. And I'm not saying this coming from one side to the other. I think the vast majority of politicians are puppets designed to distract and confuse, bewilder and bemuse while the real is going down, kind of like a magic trick, except instead of being distracted from the fact that your wristwatch was taken off your wrist, the average citizen is distracted from the LIBOR banking scandal. Anyway, not only will the election be stolen, but it is being stolen right now. Right now, the Republicans are working their asses off to make sure as many people as possible are knocked off the voter rolls in swing states. It's called purging, kind of like when a bulimic person throws up their meal, but instead of vomit, it's a pile of chewed up democracy all over the carpet. So in 2008, 767,000 provisional ballots were cast and never counted. A provisional ballot is equivalent to writing your vote in a fart. You're left with nothing but a faint bad smell. If a poll worker hands you a provisional ballot, they're handing you a piece of paper that says, here's an idea, go f*** yourself don't accept it. Tell them you want a real ballot or you want a definitive reason you can't have one. Then drop your pants and moon them. Then ask if you can borrow their pen and draw an American flag on your ass. But keep in mind, it takes some skill to draw on your own ass, so you might want to use the buddy system and have someone help you out. Also in 2008, 1.5 million ballots were quote-unquote spoiled and not counted. Spoiled is an interesting term that generally means a Republican official didn't like the vote. Often they'll say the name looks suspicious. What kind of names look suspicious to Republican officials? Black and Hispanic names. I mean, it's understandable. You look at a name like Juarez and it just looks spoiled. What the f*** the matter with it? It's got a J acting like a W. That's as suspicious as a Muslim in an airport, I tell you. In 2008, nearly half a million absentee votes were mailed in and never counted. A lot of those were active service military. But you know, who are they to vote? Nothing is more un-American than being stationed in Qatar. So far, that adds up to 3 million votes not counted. But we're just getting started. In 2008, 2.3 million people wanted to vote, but had their registration rejected. Probably suspicious names again. Half a million registered voters were wrongly cut from voter rolls. And 320,000 registered voters were turned. away from voting for God knows what reason, probably because their skin color looked either suspicious or spoiled. And now in 2012, the right wing is really kicking into high gear. If they were heads in 2008, then they're the whole throbbing Now, the Wisconsin recall of Scott Walker was the test run, and it went swimmingly. Hundreds of thousands of people were stopped from voting, and Walker was able to stand up and say, look, when only the right kind of people vote, I win easily. The right wing is stopping people from voting under the guise of voter fraud. Unfortunately, the type of fraud they're talking about almost never happens. And it makes sense that it never happens, because who wants to go to jail just to cast a vote for one of these You'd have to be out of your mind. If you're going to risk your freedom, do it for a bank robbery or running naked through a church or something with a good story behind it, at least. You know, and be- and besides, you know how much you'd get beat up in prison if people were like, what are you in for? I said my name was Mickey Mouse when I went to vote, so back the f*** up. So in an attempt to fight a crime that never happens, the right wing is cutting millions of people from the voter rolls. And why aren't the Democrats in power stopping it? Because most of them are rich and corporate too, and they don't give a f- this isn't right versus left. This is rich versus poor. In this country, the rich white people are losing control like a drunk chick in Cancun on spring break and purging poor people from the voting rolls is their way of making sure that doesn't happen. They you you you, you may not love the Democrats, alright, but this isn't about them. This is about salvaging the little rancid shards of our democracy that are actually still salvageable and they're poking into the ass of the gargantuanly rich mother.
1: Don't
3: look to a stranger
2: Hey, this is Lee Camp. I hope you've enjoyed having my Moment of Clarity rants pumped into your skulls. If you have, you would almost definitely love my free Moment of Clarity backstage podcast where I discuss the topics of the day. You know, the little things like the corporate raping and pillaging of our world. I also have on fun, awesome guests like this lady.
4: My name is Janine Garoppolo.
2: This guy. Hi, I'm John Oliver. Even sometimes this guy. This is Greg Pallas and I've got
5: my zipper caught in Moments of Clarity.
2: Free at Lee Camp. LeeCamp.net, iTunes, Stitcher, or the Android app. Plus, there's a Moment of Clarity book for those of you who thought, I love Moment of Clarity, but I hate how I can't lick it. Well, now you can. The Moment of Clarity book and ebook get it at LeeCamp.net or on most e-reader platforms. And remember, keep fighting and stay angry. When your day is through And so is your temper
6: Welcome to the Best of the Left Activism Update. My name is Lauren, and I'm the activism czar at bestoftheleft.com. Labor Day is over, and the 2012 Democratic Convention has come and went, with all the delegates, speakers, and media having gone home. Charlotte is still abuzz from so many great speeches, from Cory Booker to Michelle Obama to Bill Clinton and the man of the week, the President. But what's not being spoken about is the discrepancy between the Democrats' 2012 platform and the state where they chose to hold their convention. You see, the Democrats are differentiating themselves from the RNC by supporting unions, labor, and the working and middle class. And after Wisconsin, the Dems have never needed their friends in the labor movement more than they do this year. Yet, as Rachel Maddow covered this week, North Carolina has become a right-to-work state, where many union memberships are now prohibited. That's right, no hotels in all of Charlotte are unionized. This means the good folks, mostly women, who help clean up after the Democratic Party do not even have the same working rights the Democrats have championed so fervently during the convention. In the wake of Citizens United, union support matters more than in the past, especially for their ground game. So why the dichotomy? For starters, there's currently a Democratic Party calculation that sees North Carolina as a new swing state. And the early labor objections about this election was not as palpable during the event itself. Yet playing politics over policy for right-to-work states does not help workers directly. So here's what you can do to help support workers in these states. Please go to the AFL-CIO's website at aflcio.org. The AFL-CIO is an umbrella federation for American unions, representing 56 unions and over 12 million workers. They fight for workers to receive decent paychecks and benefits, safety, and fair treatment. By navigating their site, you can learn more about worker rights and discover which states have now implemented the Right to Work statute. Clicking on their Action Center tab offers involvement on the national, state, and local levels and helps you keep track of all the issues, legislation, and corporate watching needed. So during the final electoral push, get involved and join the Working Families Action Team because every American worker deserves a fair shot. This has been a Best of the Left activism update. For more information about the link in this segment, please consult the show notes at bestoftheleft.com. Likewise, if you yourself have an activist call to action that you want to have featured on the show, please email me at lauren at bestoftheleft.com. Stop yes
2: Stop listening. I stopped.
7: The great state of Pennsylvania is home to a civics geek's dream come true. The state of Pennsylvania has a Voter Hall of Fame. Every year, into this Hall of Fame, they induct new super voters, Pennsylvanians who have voted in 50 consecutive elections. Quote, the Voter Hall of Fame inductees hold a special place in Pennsylvania history. For 50 years, they have placed their responsibilities as citizens of this Commonwealth first. We are grateful for their lifelong commitment to democracy, and we proudly induct them into the Pennsylvania Voter Hall of Fame. In Pennsylvania, they like to say that they take voting seriously. They take their civic responsibility as participants in a democracy seriously. Here's this year's Voter Hall of Fame ceremony in Lycoming County, where 100 new super voters were inducted into the Hall of Fame. Here's the ceremony from Wayne County, 19 new Hall of Famers uh, inducted. Here's the Elk County induction ceremony from last year. 200 new Hall of Fame supervoters inducted in Elk County last year. Awesome. The Pennsylvania Voter Hall of Fame has been around since 1982. Right now, there are almost 6,000 registered voters who are Hall of Fame supervoters, whose vote in this year's election would represent more than their 50th consecutive ballot cast. But if the Pennsylvania Hall of Fame super voters thought they were just going to be able to waltz right into their precinct and cast a ballot like they have for the last 50 years, well, this year they would be wrong. That's because back in March, Pennsylvania's Republican-led legislature passed and its Republican governor, Tom Corbett, signed a strict new voter ID law that requires voters to present up-to-date, government-issued photo ID they never had to show in order to vote before, before they are allowed to vote this year. It's documentation that a substantial number of Pennsylvania voters do not have. Last month, the state released data showing that more than three-quarters of a million Pennsylvania voters, almost 10% of the state's registered voters, do not have photo ID from the state. They are legal voters. They just don't have this thing that they say you now have to show that you never had to show before if you want to vote. And it turns out there are a lot of Hall of Fame Pennsylvania super voters who are among them. According to an analysis by the Pennsylvania AFL-CIO, nearly a quarter of these Pennsylvania super voters who are in the Hall of Fame, who have cast ballots in the past 50 elections in a row, they do not have valid state-issued ID and could therefore be prevented from voting in November. One of these super voters, a 91-year-old whose expired driver's license is not considered a valid form of ID because it's expired, told Talking Point's memo, quote, I wouldn't be able to vote if I don't get some form of ID. I wondered why it was. What was the problem if they'd pass something like that? It's awful funny. A 90-year-old who gave up her driver's license three months ago told TPM, quote, I don't know why, for what reason voter ID was passed. I couldn't tell you. Zachary Roth, who is a senior writer and editor at MSNBC.com, went to Pennsylvania and talked to a 101-year-old Pennsylvanian who does not have the proper photo ID to vote in November.
1: How would you feel if you weren't able to vote? I'd feel very badly.
2: Because I know we've come a long ways. When we could not vote. See, I remember when the black folks did not vote.
7: This is a state that takes the civic duty of voting so seriously that it has a voting hall of fame. But this year, the state of Pennsylvania is poised to deliberately disenfranchise many of its most dedicated voters. You voted in every election for 50 years straight? Congratulations! Here's a glossy certificate and a special place in our Civics Hall of Fame forever. Now, no more voting for you. So that's Pennsylvania. In the great state of Iowa, while Republicans tried for it, there is no new Iowa voter ID law for this year's election, but that doesn't mean that nobody gets disenfranchised. The Republican Secretary of State in Iowa has now suddenly moved to start a purge of the Iowa voter rolls. Iowa Secretary of State used an emergency procedure that allowed him to issue the new purge rules without giving notice to or taking input from the public. He tells the Des Moines Register that the usual notice and public participation are contrary to the public interest because these procedures, this voter purge, had to be in effect before the November 6 presidential election. So he's trying really quick-like, with no public oversight, to purge the voter rolls three months before a presidential election. What could possibly go wrong? That's Iowa. And as long as we're talking shady new Republican election rules in swing states just in time for Election Day, we also need to make a quick stop in Ohio. For the past couple of nights on this show, we've been talking about a new partisan disaster in voting rights in Ohio. Now, the big news, beltway attention controversy in Ohio right now is the Republicans moving to cut off the last three days of early voting. Expansive early voting, of course, is the change that's credited with turning the hours-long nightmare lines of the 04 election in Ohio into something resembling a functioning election day in 2008. But that relatively trouble-free election in 2008 resulted in Barack Obama winning the state. So coincidentally, this year, Republicans in Ohio would like to have fewer early voting days. Ohio's Republican Secretary of State, John Houston, has been trying to defend that move, trying to explain why, if the point is not to get fewer people to the polls, not to have longer lines on election day, why it would be so important to cut off early voting three days early.
3: I don't think the bar is too high there for anybody who really cares about the future of our country and wants to have their voice heard by voting. We try to make it easy, but we can't, uh, you know, I, I say we're not 7-Eleven. We can't stay open 24-7 and let <laughs> anybody vote by any rule that they want to. Uh, we have standards.
7: That is Ohio's Republican Secretary of State's explanation for cutting off the last three days of early voting in the state, including the Sunday before Election Day, which is when African-American churches typically mobilize their congregations to go early vote en masse. You can't just go around voting whenever you want. We have standards. The fact that those standards are likely to result in longer lines in the big cities where Democrats are favored, I'm guessing the Secretary of State would say that is just a coincidence, but I would love the chance to ask him. Even as questions remain about the cutoff of those last three days of early voting in Ohio, so far the Secretary of State John Houston has not answered questions about the other election scandal in Ohio for this year, the one I find hard to believe is not front page news all over the country. The bigger election scandal in Ohio right now is that on a county-by-county basis, elections boards are deciding whether to allow early voting on nights and weekends. Each county's election board in Ohio's 88 counties is evenly split between Republicans and Democrats, equal numbers. In counties that tend to vote for the Republican candidate, like Warren and Butler counties, where John McCain won in 08 by big margins, in those counties, Republicans and Democrats on the elections boards are voting together to allow early voting on nights and weekends, so that means more voting in Republican counties. But in the counties that tend to go Democratic, like Cuyahoga and Franklin and Summit, where Barack Obama won by huge margins in 2008, the Republicans on those county election boards are voting against early voting on nights and weekends. And guess who gets the break for the tie votes in those counties? Guess who gets to break those ties? This guy, Republican Secretary of State John Houston, who is voting with the Republicans, naturally, to deny early voting on nights and weekends in Democratic counties. He is personally intervening to make sure there are fewer early voting hours on nights and weekends in Democratic counties, while there are more early voting hours on nights and weekends in Republican counties.
2: Shut down, fall asleep. The more you hold, the
8: less you keep.
4: The facts about voter ID laws are straightforward. There is no documented problem of widespread vote fraud. The researchers and prosecutors who have looked for it agree. And the laws will disenfranchise eligible voters, mostly the poor and people of color. But all that hasn't stopped reporters from not just implying but stating that the jury is still out. Take the July 25th segment on the public radio program On Point. Host Wade Goodwin opened with a typical description of the push for I.D. laws, quote, supporters say it's necessary for election integrity. Opponents call it voter suppression, close quote. The even-handed approach extended to the guest list, with Lawrence Norden from the Brennan Center balanced out by the Heritage Foundation's Hans von Spankowski, one of the law's most visible proponents. Perhaps most notable, though, were the remarks from the show's other guest, New York Times reporter Ethan Broner, who embodied media's ridiculous caution on the issue. There's no doubt ID laws would suppress voting by Democrats, he said, but, quote, equally important whether that's the goal of these laws or whether that's a side effect, close quote. Sure, the laws have been passed exclusively by Republican majorities, he said, but, quote, it could be that both sides see the self-interest involved, whatever their motive is, close quote. Broner knows the phenomenon of voter ID fraud is baseless. He states that. Then he adds, quote, but it's also true, to be honest, that just because there isn't doesn't mean there wouldn't be, close quote, which he follows with a reference to Tammany Hall, so, with no evidence voter ID laws are necessary, but certain indication that they will keep mainly poor and brown people from voting, Broner's upshot was, quote, this is the difficulty to draw one's own conclusions, close quote. Not everyone finds it so hard.
9: of pennsylvania commonwealth court judge robert simpson said he would not grant an injunction that would have halted the law requiring each voter to show a valid photo id in pennsylvania we have spoken about this before there are upwards or to around three-quarters of a million people registered voters who do not have the required i d there is no system in place yet to provide a voter i d in other words people who don't want to drive can not drive and go get one of these special ids it appears that even the people at the dmv who would issue such a license aren't even aware of it in fact during uh, the this uh... case Court case to enjoin the implementation of this law. Testimony was presented about workers at the Department of Transportation license uh, centers who appeared completely uninformed about the requirement to issue free non drivers' IDs. Simpson, uh, the uh, uh the judge did not rule on the full merits of the case only whether to grant a preliminary injunction stopping it from taking effect so uh, this will be appealed uh by uh, those people who are fighting this including the American Civil Liberties Union it will go uh to the supreme court uh however votes of 4 of 6 supreme court justices would be needed to overturn the ruling The judge, of course, is a Republican. Relevant only because we know the Republican leader of the state Senate spoke of the voter ID law as going to provide Mitt Romney a win in Pennsylvania. However, the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania is split three to three, three Democrats, three Republicans. There's only six members of uh justices that are sitting because one justice is uh has been suspended, a Republican fighting criminal corruption charges. Well, isn't that nice? The original rationale in the Pennsylvania Republican controlled legislature for the law to prevent election fraud played little role in the case before Simpson because the state's lawyers acknowledge there is no evidence of any of these things ever taking place nor do they expect it to take place during this election. Instead, they insisted uh, and this is the the ruling basically was whether or not lawmakers properly exercised their latitude to make election-related laws when they chose to require voters to show this ID. In other words, the the judge was simply ruling on whether or not this was in the purview of the state legislature to make such a law not whether or not it is a valid law the department of justice is already on the case on monday it asked the state's top election official for a long list information about the uh, about the law to see if it is an infringement on people's rights according to the voting rights act pennsylvania is not one of those states that Needs to check with the uh, Justice Department before it changes its laws. It's unclear whether or not uh, the Department of Justice can actually stop this law, or whether or not they feel that there is reason to do so. Some people have argued, "Well, this is going to disenfranchise a lot of old people outside of um, uh, who who might otherwise vote for Republicans." But the fact of the matter is that nearly forty-five percent of eligible voters in philadelphia may be disenfranchised by this Of course this is the way that uh, democrats generally win in pennsylvania is by winning by such an overwhelming amount in uh... in philadelphia in particular but uh, other urban centers as opposed to the more rural areas so this will be uh... interesting to see what happens interesting to see what happens if it's possible that Republicans could now win Pennsylvania with such an enormous amount of people, 30 some odd percent of people disenfranchised, registered voters.
3: the day, I've
2: called and never speak, and you would say, nothing's changed at
3: Scott Brown, who's running here in our home state of Massachusetts for re-election against Elizabeth Warren, who is challenging him for that seat, is outraged that people who might not vote for him are registering to vote. This is a fascinating story. Back in 1993, the National Voter Registration Act, which since '95 has required government to offer people the opportunity to register to vote when they access government service, like getting a, a driver's license, etc., uh, also applies when people apply for welfare benefits. So, when you apply for welfare benefits, you're supposed to be offered or asked to register to vote. Now, a number of groups have actually started suing states to ensure that the law is being followed. One of those lawsuits happened here in Massachusetts, Lewis. A woman complained she applied for welfare benefits. She was not asked to register to vote, she wasn't given that, that opportunity. And rather than fight the case, Massachusetts settled saying, right that federal law we have to follow that as part of the settlement we're gonna offer voter registration by mail to almost half a million people who hadn't been offered that possibility when they applied for a number of different benefits as they should have been so all that massachusetts agreed to do is make good on the prom- on on the, the promise that they made which is we're gonna offer people who apply for welfare the opportunity to register. We didn't do that in person, so we're going to mail something. Very straightforward. It's just compliance with a with a federal law that we should have been following. No question. Now Scott Brown sees this as a move to steal his Senate seat, which I guess he thinks rightly belongs to him and people who voted for him that, I don't know, aren't on welfare. So he has seized on the fact that one of the four advocacy groups in Massachusetts that is involved in this case is chaired by the daughter of Elizabeth Warren, who is running against Scott Brown. Okay, so four advocacy groups are working on this issue. Scott Brown has pulled out the fact that one of them also employs Elizabeth Warren's daughter. Therefore, I guess those people shouldn't be allowed to vote, right? It's a conspiracy. I mean, it's a conspiracy, no question about it. So the Brown-, Brown campaign put out this statement that was very whiny. It forgets the fact that we're talking about a federal law, and that's why Massachusetts agreed to the settlement. And he says, I want every legal vote to count, but it's outrageous to use taxpayer dollars to register welfare recipients as part of a special effort to boost one political party over another. Now, I don't know too much about these crafted PR statements from senators, but I am troubled by any sentence that starts with, I want every legal vote to count, but i want every legal vote to count but is that language that concerns either of you guys it is not uh, not a good way to start a sentence No, certainly not when you're trying to when you're a senator <laughs> and presumably you're there as part of the american democracy where people vote et cetera et cetera starting a sentence with i want every legal vote to count but you want every legal vote to count right and federal law is being followed here by this make good of offering these people the chance to vote that's that's it that's plain and simple what it is we could we could uh we could just say i want every legal vote to count
11: but not when it hurts my chances <laughs> <of me."
1: I laughs> that's mean, what's we implied. can cut
11: out most of that sentence
3: yeah just, really just the, the keep, you don't even need all of it all you need is i want every legal vote to count but that's it that's all that's the entire part that you need really yeah. <laughs> so there it is scott brown uh maybe he'll be able to keep that senate seat um, even with all the legal votes counting which i know is something he certainly doesn't want
8: Watch the-
9: Women voters in Georgia will have to pass a strict new voter ID requirement, which was upheld today by District Judge Samson Squire Bloverly III. Unless overturned by the U.S. Supreme Court, all female Georgians will have to present the original rib from which they were constructed by God at local polls. Athens resident Alice Lummerd.
8: If they want that bone, we're going to be playing hacky sack with man pots around here.
9: Attorney General Eric Holder has reportedly walked from one office to another in an attempt to get his mind off those really good pralines they make down there. in Ohio Republican plans to suppress the vote and not just suppress the vote but disenfranchise voters marches on New York Times picks this up uh Rachel Maddow's been on this story for at least a week or two but if you live in Butler or Warren counties in these suburbs of Cincinnati you can vote for president starting in october with an absentee ballot you can go to a polling place to get that absentee ballot after work in the early evening to the mid evening i mean it's late evening for those of us with children and no lives or on weekends because republican officials in uh, those uh, counties who control the uh, board of elections voted to make it convenient for their residents to vote early and avoid long lines for uh... for voting on election day but if you live in cincinnati republicans on the county election board plan to end early voting in the city at five p m and they will ban it completely on the weekends This is according to the cincinnati inquirer Hamilton County, which contains Cincinnati, is a largely Democratic county, votes solidly for Barack Obama in uh, 2008. Butler, or Warren County, lean Republican. My, my, what a tremendous coincidence. Surprise, surprise. In counties likely to vote for President Obama, Republicans have voted against the extended hours. And Ohio Secretary of State John Hosted has broken the tie in their favor. In counties likely to vote for Mitt Romney, Republicans have not objected to the extended hours. Cincinnati is 45% black. Cleveland, 53% uh, uh, black. Butler County, however, 8% black. Warren County, black. Wow, what a shock. How completely and utterly consistent with everything we know about Republicans. Surprise, surprise. Meanwhile, in Florida, more than half of black voters went to the polls early in 2008, largely to support President Obama. So last year, in Florida, Republican lawmakers severely curtailed the early voting period. And now we also know uh, in Pennsylvania uh this voter ID law may stand. We also know from depositions in a lawsuit in Florida that the former chairman of the Republican Party in Florida says that yeah, this was par for the course. People would would specifically say we're going to do things to disenfranchise black voters. And the strongest voice coming out against these tactics by Republicans, well, of course it's George R. R. Martin, the author of the Game of Thrones series on his uh, blog. he writes Republicans and their tea bagger allies uh, have Scant regard for our republic or its values. They are oligarchs and racists clad in the skin of dead elephants. Yeah, that's why the guy is a uh, best-selling author. And I want to remind you of what uh, Harold Myerson wrote um, last week. I guess it was in late July. Suppose Mitt Romney ekes out a victory in November by a smaller, my margin smaller than the number of young and minority voters who couldn't cast ballots because of the photo ID laws enacted by Republican governors uh, and legislators. He said that um, Democrats, in fact, the country, should ignore the results. Mass demonstrations would be in order. So would a congressional refusal to confirm any of Romney's appointments. A president premised on racist restriction of the franchise creates a political and constitutional crisis, and responding to it with resigned acceptance or inaction would negate America's hard won commitment to democracy and equality.
11: And I'd be moved like a tree standing by the water.
7: When Congress passed the Voting Rights Act in 1965, the idea was to offer federal protection for the right to vote. The Voting Rights Act said you could not have your right to vote infringed upon in any way by a poll tax or a literacy test or by intimidation of any kind. Voting was important, it was constitutionally protected, and so Congress ordered federal protection for it. Even if states wanted to infringe that right, the federal government would not let them do it. The Voting Rights Act passed both chambers of Congress by wide margins. Republicans, incidentally, supported it by wider margins than Democrats did. Democrats at the time, of course, were still infested with their Dixiecrats. When it came time to re-up the Voting Rights Act, to extend key sections of it in 2006, the the Senate voted to do that by a vote of 98 to nothing. Now, in parts of the country that have historically had trouble with voting rights or voter turnout, uh, the Voting Rights Act requires extra federal scrutiny of state actions whenever they want to change their voting rules. They're subject to extra scrutiny that they have earned uh, to make sure they're not changing their laws in ways that infringe on the constitutional right to vote. That's why you've got this extra hurdle of federal approval that a lot of these Republican-controlled jurisdictions have had to go through this year when they've been trying to change their state laws to make it harder to vote. So in South Carolina, Republican Governor Nikki Haley is saying she wants her state's new barrier to voting approved in time for the November election. In Virginia, Governor McDonald took a break from chairing the Republican National Platform Committee yesterday to celebrate his state's new law getting federal clearance, along with the promise of a free ID card to be mailed to every Virginia voter. In Florida, Republican Governor Rick Scott signed a law this year that cuts the days for early voting from 14 days to 8 days. But Rick Scott's state has five counties that get this special scrutiny under the Voting Rights Act. And a few days ago, a federal court ruled that Florida may not cut early voting in those five special counties. But check this out. If you look at the specifics here, you will understand what the giant drama is going on now in Florida. The court ruled that if those five counties under special supervision agreed to hold longer voting hours on weekdays, then maybe, maybe the state could get away with cutting out the weekend voting that has been so popular, in particular with African-American voters. Rick Scott considered that idea and thought maybe he could work with it a little. Maybe he could get what he wanted after all in time for the November election. Rick Scott's Republican administration in Florida began approaching the elections clerks in these five counties. They asked the clerks to please, please, please go along. Please tell the courts that they like Rick Scott's idea for cutting out weekend voting and for just making the weekday voting longer instead. And as of yesterday, Of the five election supervisors, four of them said, sure, we'll do what Rick Scott is asking. Fewer voting days? Okay, we'll take fewer voting days. But the fifth supervisor says, you know what? Early voting works great, as it is in his county. It's the Florida Keys. He says letting people vote on the weekend there makes a difference in that district. It's not just a matter of staying open later on the weeknights. He told Governor Scott, nope, he is not budging. And so, standoff. You might remember a similar standoff we've been reporting on in Ohio. In that state, it's two county election commissioners who want to continue weekend voting over the Republican Secretary of State's strenuous objections. Ohio's Secretary of State, as we've reported, is threatening to fire those local commissioners. Ohio doesn't receive special scrutiny under the Voting Rights Act, although maybe it should, given that state officials there are so determined to make voting harder. But regardless, these five counties in Florida do get that extra scrutiny under the Voting Rights Act, which again, Republicans used to like. In all but one of the counties, the election supervisors have signed on for Rick Scott's plan to cut the number of early voting days. But guess what happened to the guy who's the holdout? Guess what happened to the one supervisor who said no to this plan? Today, Rick Scott suggested, he hinted, that maybe he's going to fire that guy. Governor Scott released a statement saying, quote, "...moving forward, I will continue to take all necessary and appropriate action to ensure that the laws are faithfully executed, whatever it takes to get what Rick Scott wants." Uh, Mr. Sawyer, Sawyer here, is the resisting local elections official, he happens to be a Republican. Uh, He told the Miami Herald that it is clear that Rick Scott is trying to intimidate him. But he said that the attempt is not working, he is not scared. That lone Republican supervisor in South Florida uh, stands out. Not just in Florida, but in Republican politics at large. I mean, the standard used to be that Republicans supported the Voting Rights Act. Now, Texas Republicans are openly calling for the repeal of the Voting Rights Act in their state platform. This weekend, in the same interview where he offered his theory about rape and pregnancy, Congressman Todd Akin suggested that the states should be allowed to do whatever they want with elections.
5: Elections have historically always been a state thing. And I didn't realize how important or how good that was until we had that very close race, the second race with George Bush, and you had something that goes wrong in Florida and I'm thinking, boy, it sure is good that the states manage this and not the federal government. Otherwise, you'd have to try and rehold the whole election process.
1: Yeah,
7: historically, before the Voting Rights Act, uh, Mr. Aiken's office later clarified that he does believe that voting is a fundamental right. Uh, Trying to make him sound not too fringy on that issue either. Todd Akin is not out on some fringe. His views on abortion happen to be shared by the very top of the Republican national presidential ticket. And his view that voting rights should be left to the states. Whatever they want to do with them, that view found a home today in the Republican Party platform. Platform committee chaired by Virginia Governor Bob McDonnell voted to support states that are trying to make voting harder. By making you show new kinds of ID you didn't used to have to show in order to vote. New kinds of documentation that millions of Americans do not have. Then Republicans added a plank requiring that you newly prove your citizenship in order to vote. The voice vote on that one was unanimous. It is the new Republican consensus. Half a century ago, the consensus in the Republican Party and in this country was that we should make it easier to vote. As a nation, we liked voting, or at least we were embarrassed to admit otherwise. That was the consensus. But that was then. Now in 2012, that consensus is falling apart.
10: So on Wednesday, ladies and gentlemen, the Republicans, the GOP had at least a temporary victory in their war on voting. Um, I'm talking about in Pennsylvania, a Republican judge ruled that a Republican law that makes it harder for Democrats to vote. He ruled that it was A-okay by him. I'm talking about Commonwealth Court Judge Robert Simpson. He did in fact refuse to issue an injunction for the Pennsylvania voter ID law. Um, about the voter ID law, the Pennsylvania Department, uh, the Pennsylvania, Tra- Pennsylvania Transportation Department found that 9.2. Uh, percent of currently registered Pennsylvanians do not have the ID needed to currently vote in the election that is two and a half months away. Um, that amounts to over 750,000 Pennsylvania voters who will be possibly disenfranchised because they do not possess the ID that the Republicans say they need. Um, again, over 750,000 current voters who are registered. That is three quarters of a million people who could vote now will not be able to. Um, that is one out of nine Pennsylvanian voters. One out of nine! Who are these one out of nine? Who are these one out of nine? Well, they're the poor who cannot afford an ID. They are the elderly who do not have a current ID. They are students who also don't have a proper ID. There are minorities who live in cities where they do not have a car. In short, in short, they are groups that predominantly vote Democratic. Um, Ari Berman reports for The Nation magazine that it's Uh, so, so it's 9.2% of Pennsylvania voters. 18% of them are in Philadelphia, which is 44% African American. It's unbelievable. The judge, the judge allowed this, this, this farce of a law to stand despite, uh, the fact that lawyers for the state were, quote, this is a quote, not aware of any incidents of in-person voter fraud in the state of Pennsylvania. Because there hasn't been any. There hasn't been any. There's been no prosecutions. There's been nothing. There was not one instance of voter fraud. But why should that matter? Why should that matter that there has not been one instance of voter fraud in Pennsylvania? Why should that matter when you can keep three-quarters of a million of Democrats from voting? Why should it matter, huh? When you can, when you can knock three-quarters of a million people! Three-quarters of a million! You can keep three-quarters of a million from voting! It, doesn't, it, does, it also doesn't matter to the judge that the state is woefully unprepared for implementation of the law. During the trial, Pennsylvania Secretary of the Commonwealth, uh, Carol Archell. Um, Secretary of the Commonwealth is like the Secretary of State. Um, it's the person who is in charge of over, overseeing the election, like Catherine Harris was the Secretary of State in Florida when George W. Bush stole Florida in 2000. This is, this is Pennsylvania's, uh, Catherine Harris. Well, 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 the Secretary of the Commonwealth said, while on the stand in the trial, under oath, while she was on trial, defending the law, under oath, when she was asked about the law, she actually said, quote, Quote, I don't know what the law says. End quote. You heard me. I don't know what the law says. You don't know what the law says? You, you actually said that on, on trial that you don't know what it says? You're in charge of implementing the damn thing! You're on the damn witness stand defending the damn thing! And you have the audacity to admit that you don't know what it says? Well, in fairness though, people, in fairness, she does have two and a half months to figure it out, doesn't she? She has two and a half months to read the damn thing, doesn't she? Dave Weigel reports for, sl- in another, another instance of them being not prepared, uh, to implement the law. Dave Weigel for Slate, uh, reports that in order to get an ID, one goes to, a, a pen dot office. In Pennsylvania, where you get your, where you get your IDs are called the pen dot office. Dave Weigel reports that there are 71 pen dot offices, but 13 of them were open only one day a week. Nine Pennsylvania counties have no pen dot office at all. You heard me, 13 open one day a week, nine counties in Pennsylvania don't have an office, period. The election is two and a half months away. 750,000 people do not have what the GOP has deemed to be the proper ID, what the GOP has decreed to be the proper ID. And if you think, if you think for for any reason, for any reason at all, that this is not an effort by Republicans to keep specifically Democrats from voting, to specifically disenfranchise Democrats, I will remind you, we played this before when this first happened, this is the law, this is the exact voter ID, Id law that Pennsylvania House Majority Leader, Leader, <laughs> guess I turned into mass, I'm, I'm in Boston, the leader. Uh, but Pennsylvania House Majority Leader Mike Terze said the following about: Listen to this quote. This is the Pennsylvania Republican House Majority Leader. Take a listen. Voter ID, which is going to allow Governor Romney to win the state of Pennsylvania, done. <laughs> there it is. There it is. He bloody admitted it. He bloody friggin' admitted it to the applause of his fellow Republicans that this law would allow Mitt Romney to steal Pennsylvania by keeping Democratic voters off the polls. And Pennsylvania Republicans are not alone. Oh, no. Oh, no. In Florida, Republican Governor Rick Scott's his secretary of state, has said he will attempt another purge of Florida voter rolls. That just as reported. I, 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 you know, it's like I, 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 I still have a hard time wrapping my brain around this, folks. I, you know, I, I guess I don't, but I, I, I'm still shocked because it's, it's sick. This is sick. The sad, sad, horribly shocking truth is that the vast majority of Republicans do, in fact, support these laws countrywide. They do, they do, they support these laws countrywide. And based on that, I am going to say it right here. The vast majority of Republicans do not believe in democracy. The extent that they are going through, that they are going through just to prevent people from voting. Just the extent that they're doing to keep people from voting. One can only conclude, one can only conclude that they have an open and clear contempt for the very concept of democracy. Look, I'm sorry, I don't think that there is a language that is extreme enough to describe how sick and disgusting this is. If you are willing to, to exercise your power, if you are willing to pass laws just to keep your opponent from voting, you hate democracy, period. You hate freedom, period. Even saying these words right now, I'm reminded. I'm reminded of, of being of, of those words being used on on me, on people like me who opposed the Iraq War. You know, even it, it, then, it was ridiculous, insulting, extreme. But how sick and twisted of an individual do you have to be if you have such a contempt for the just the very concept? of democracy. That in order to win, you are willing to stop your opponent from voting. There is nothing more un-American than that. There is nothing more un-American than that. And look, we all know, we all know the whole system's bloody broken. And for the most part, Democrats don't represent the will of the people. But dear God! Dear God! How can, how can they be doing this? How can we, how can we let them do this? This is a failure! The, the, this is a failure of the of Democrats and the media. Seriously, every single solitary Republican politician should be forced to be accountable for this. Every single Republican politician should be forced to go on the record on where they stand about, disenfranch- about disenfranchising voters. Three quarters of a million in Pennsylvania alone. And you you guys listen to the show, you know I'm not nuts about Obama, but there is a very, very, very real possibility and, hell, even probability right now that Republicans are, in fact, going to steal the 2012 presidential election. There's a very real possibility. Because right now, they're doing it. Right now they're doing it. It's happening right now in front of our faces. And the fact that every single solitary Democratic politician, the fact that President Obama isn't just screaming at the top of their lungs, isn't screaming on every single solitary TV show that they're on, every speech that they give, three-quarters of a million in Pennsylvania alone, the fact that they're not screaming about this... Hell, what Republicans are doing is criminal. What Democrats are doing in response is criminal bloody negligence.
5: Hi, Jay. This is Nathan from Vancouver, Washington. My uh, comment is in response to a comment left by a gentleman on episode 640, where he said what I believe is a false equivalency that the blaming the Catholic Church for child molestation or rape is similar to blaming all Muslims for terrorism, which I think is completely false in that Islam is a religion, whereas Catholic Church is a single sect with its own bureaucracy and its own paid employees, even the ones that have a vow poverty, receive room and board and so forth. They receive assignments from the Pope, they receive direction from the Pope, and their positions are sanctioned by the Pope, uh, directly or indirectly. So, this false equivalency is very important because it plays into how we blame all Muslims for terrorism and so forth. When you know, Islam is a large religion of various different sects or bureaucracies, various different churches of Islam, and so lumping them all into one is, uh, incorrect. Just like we don't blame all Christians for the child molestation, we don't blame, we shouldn't blame all the people who worship, you know, who are Muslim for the act of a few of them. It's not like the, you know, Al-Qaeda directly our employees are part of the bureaucracy of something equivalent to the Vatican. So I just wanted to, to clear that up because the difference here is that these people are under the direct, you know, direct or indirect employ of an organization, and that organization absolutely should be held to account for how it handles the actions of its members and employees since it is centrally one.
8: Thank you. Hi, Jay. This is Paula in California. Um, I love your show. I've been using the Amazon tab on your webpage to click through and give you donations, so I hope that's great. Um, I just wanted to comment on um, the thing about opening doors for women. I mean, the story, I just, I'm sure it's too late for this, but the story that you relate is so much about control. The man wants to control how people are getting onto the train. He's, he's making a big show about it and if i were a woman standing there i would be thinking you know what i can get on the train when i feel like it not when you decide i want to get on the train and that kind of controlling attitude is probably what rubbed you the wrong way more than his i mean i think you're making it a little more complex than it needs to be trying to think about his internal motivations i mean his active his objective behavior is controlling and that is an odious sort of point of view from the point of, view of a woman or a man who's trying to get on the train so The polite thing to do is to open the door for the woman. You don't have to make a big show about it. But if you open the door, the woman prefers not to go. And oftentimes that happens to me. I just gesture to the person, oh, no, you go ahead. It's their choice. But if you're taking away their choice and insisting that they do it your way, of course it's going to rub people the wrong way. And, of course, it's going to seem sexist. So that's all I have to say. Thank you so much um, for your show. I really enjoy it. And it always makes me think. And goodbye.
11: Hello, Jay. This is Joe from New York. I'm just uh, calling after listening to your last podcast. I uh, had a comment from a caller, Stacy, who was talking about male privilege as it relates to uh, white privilege. And um, she reminded me a lot of my dad. Listen to her. Uh, my dad grew up and still lives in New York City. He, uh, he lived here during the 1970s and 1980s. When uh, when things the crime was a lot worse than it is today, and you know, he had been the victim of muggings and uh, robberies and witnessed a lot of crime, and you know every in every instance of that, the person committing the crime was always a minority, and uh, that that tended to warp his perspective of, of minorities, and uh, you know even to this day, he tends to look the other look who's behind him or who's not somebody's walking down the street. And um, you know, he he, he try to explain to him that you know his view is somehow uh, inappropriate for reality. It's, it's racist, and that uh, it's not really how the world is. He'll explain to you that um, you know he'll he'll have statistics to back up how you're more likely to be uh, you know, the victim of minority crime than uh, than white crime. And he in his mind, he doesn't see himself as a racist he sees himself as an eerie eyed realist who knows how the world really works. And um he reminds me a lot of Stacy. She too, um, you know, looks looks around and always notices when there are men around. If there's one walking behind her or a man next to her. Um she's very aware of it. And if you try to explain to her how that's really not appropriate for worldview to have, she'll she you know, she'll back it up with her own statistics. You know, she would say that one out of four women is the victim of a sexual crime. And, um, you know, she doesn't see herself as having a one perspective. She sees herself as a steely-eyed realist who knows how the world really works. Yeah, the reason why I bring this up, the point I'm trying to make, is that um, you can't talk about the reality of, of majority privilege without doing that within the context of a uh, minority, for lack of a better word, paranoia. I'm not, to, I'm not trying to say the majority privileges are real I'm just trying to say that sometimes the perception of it is magnified and exaggerated to the point where it it's not it's it's more it's more illusion than reality anyway my two cents that's just my perspective uh we'll see if you disagree or not
0: Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. So first, a, a quick note on Paula's message about the guy on the train, that whole story from a few episodes back. I, I played that message because it came at this story from an angle I hadn't heard before, and I really liked it. It gave me a little bit of an aha moment. You know, we spent several episodes sort of dissecting the motivations of Of a person who would insist on women being allowed to board a train uh, rather than doing it just to be polite, Um, you know. But and and Paul is coming at it from just the absolute, you know, the result rather than the intent uh, portion, where you know he's a person trying to exert control, and that's really irritating for (laughs) anyone who uh, who is having control exerted over them. So yeah, I, I, I like that. I don't think it takes away from the rest of it It's just a different perspective and equally valid. It's, you know, it's two sides of the same coin. So I, I, I liked that. Uh, secondly today, I want to talk about Joe from New York and his pseudo uh, racist father. But here's exactly what happened. I, I sat down, I'm getting ready to record and I thought, okay, this sounds like a false equivalency. And I'm pretty sure I understand why intellectually. I can kind of piece together in my head. Now, how can I best verbalize that? And then 45 minutes went by and I thought, I really need to get up early in the morning. I don't know if I have time to work this out. So, you know, because I just, it's on the tip of my tongue. I know that there is a difference between a woman recognizing that as a woman, she is uh, in statistically more danger and therefore takes uh, you know, a, a defensive posture when out in public as as a matter of instinct versus a guy who, because he's had bad experiences with minorities in the past, then has a negative impression of all minorities. I know it, but I cannot think of the best possible way to describe the sort of fundamental difference between those two things. I mean, one, the woman is you know talking about her own, you know personal internalization of you know the threat from the outside world and the other the guy is sort of it seems to i mean i don't know joe's dad but he seems to be then sort of imposing his idea his his negative impressions of minorities then on all minorities and i didn't get the feeling from stacy that she was imposing a negative opinion of men on all men and so I feel like there's a just a false equivalency there but I know I also know that there's a better way to describe it than what I just did. So if anyone wants to call in and do a much better job of that, please feel free. Uh, the number to dial 206-202-3410. So that's going to do it for today. Thanks to everyone for listening. Especially thanks to those who support the show, uh, members and one-time donors who actually financially support the show are the reason we can do what we do.
8: Light find her black and white. You took apart a picture that wasn't right. Pitch burning on a shiny sheet. The only maker that you wanna be. A dying man in a living room. The shadow bases the floor. will take you out any open. the phone